The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Look with me in Romans 5 and verse 6. This is where we were last week, and this will be our last uh, study in verses 1 through 11 of Romans 5. This is a glorious text, folks. The Reformation came out of this text, Romans 5, 1 through 11. In it is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. In it are all the tenets of that glorious movement of the Spirit and the Reformation that was only surpassed by uh, 1,500 years before it, and that was the movement of Pentecost. This is a great and glorious text, and I pray it will be helpful for you in our last study as we look uh, closely in, uh, in verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, what he has said is, we get, we have people that die for people that are good citizens. We have people that die for people that they, we have a relationship with. But Christ died for us, helpless, ungodly, Sinners. And this is what else he says. He says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life more than that we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation the grass withers the flower fades the word of our God abides forever by his grace and his mercy may his word be preached for you please be seated it seems just a I know it's just been a couple of months. I was actually trying to think of the exact date. But it's just been a a couple of months ago that I was in the lobby after the worship service and a young man in the congregation came up and he we'd been praying together about this and he said, Pastor, I've got Pastor, I've got good news. I said, Really? He said, Yeah. Scans came back fully clear full remission and we both kind of dissolved into emotion and tears of joy and then just automatically gave praise to God and prayed together Um, right in that moment when he shared that interesting phrase I got good news and I think back on our instantaneous emotional reaction our our reflex action to give praise to God for it, 
And then the filling of our lives with thanksgiving at that good news. And what, and honestly, I began to think, I wonder why we're not constantly like that about the good news, the gospel. Fully invested emotionally, informed intellectually, and volitionally responding to give God praise and glory and thanksgiving just at the truth of the good news. There we've got good news on a physical, but we've got good news on an eternal matter, that it's well with our soul. I think one of the reasons, I'm not saying this to put us on guilt trips that you're not walking around singing the doxology uh, every moment of every day. I'm not doing it. That's not my point. I really tried to think my way through this, and I think, I do think one of the reasons why is because we sometimes do not appreciate the grandeur and the glory of God's grace in the good news because we've lost sight of the bad news. We just don't get it. Because one of the reasons in that lobby we reacted the way we did is, I think it's about five years ago, I'd come into an evening worship service and received the news that he had been taken really, truly, deathly ill. And they had taken him to the hospital. And so immediately after the worship service was over, I went to visit and pray with him. And um, not knowing how close this may be. And, and when I got there and we prayed together and talked together and... Uh, and uh, as best he could with the pain situation, um, the doctor came in and he said, I've got some bad news. It was cancer, vital organ, stage four. And this doctor, not in a rough manner, but in a direct and clear, truthful manner, let him know what was facing him and where they were. He said, now I'm going to pray with you, and I want you to know I'm in it with you. Thankfully, this doctor is a member of this church also, so that didn't surprise me how he handled it. But I can't help but think our response of gladness and joy was directly related, of the good news was directly related to the clarity of the bad news. So here is a text that was foundational to the Reformation. On the glorious gospel of grace, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that grace that came was not uh, by any means merited, wasn't even wanted. And our faith didn't even come from us. It was a gift of God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so here is this glorious truth of our salvation, and we sing about it, and it grabs our heart. But I sometimes think, I don't know what to say. We either lose the memory of the bad news, or we never really understood the depth of the bad news, or we've just kind of got used to it. I really don't know. But I do know the Bible is clear about it. It's clear about the good news But it's first clear about the bad news. For instance, in this text, there are terms that are used as kind of gospel shorthand. 
It is the, this gospel that we have, this gospel of grace, whereby you have eternal life in and through Christ when you believe in, when you repent of your sins and put your trust in him alone. It says this gospel of grace, another word for this glorious work is called justification. It is a gospel of justification. Another word that you heard me read is a gospel of redemption. Another word that you heard me read in this, uh, in this text is, it's a gospel of salvation. It's a gospel of salvation. It's a gospel of redemption. It's a gospel of justification. It is a gospel of reconciliation. And in fact, it's in that area where we focus today, the gospel of reconciliation. It's no accident. I ask you, I ask them to give us 2 Corinthians 5 today. And it's no accident we did that, 2 Corinthians 5, where it says that we through Christ have been reconciled to God and our ministry is one of reconciliation. And not only is our ministry one of reconciliation, our gospel message is one of reconciliation. But all of those words we get used to if we don't remind ourselves of why they're so astonishingly powerful and, and passionate. When the Bible says that our gospel is a gospel of salvation, why is that glorious? Because we were lost. We were not wandering in sin. We were not misguided in sin. Before we were saved, we were lost. And our first four chapters of studying the book of Romans tell the, t- tells us just how lost we were. We were helpless. We were hopeless. That from heaven, the wrath of God has been revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That we, in fact, stand under the wrath of God. We're hopeless and we're helpless. We can't save ourselves. Religion can't save us. No one else can save us. Among all of Adam's race, we're all in the same boat. Born in sin, sinning, and headed to an eternal righteous condemnation. And the outpouring of God's unmixed wrath. And we're hopeless. And we're helpless. My favorite illustration is so many people present the gospel as if we're floundering in the sea of sin. And here's the gospel, a life preserver. That is not the case. We are not floundering in the sea of sin. We're at the bottom of a sea of sin. We got a 10 million pound rock on top of us. Who will deliver us from the wrath to come? Now we got good news. We've got a good news of salvation for those helpless and hopeless. What you couldn't do, what you even didn't want to be done. We didn't even want to be saved. This God not only saved us, 
But dare I say it in North Charlotte language? This God not only saved us, he changed our woner. I don't think that's the right word, but he changed our woner. The Bible says whoever wants to be saved can be saved. We only got, you know what our problem is? None of us want to. We're dead in our sins. He changed our woner. He not only saved us, he not only redeemed us, he saved us and changed us so that we wanted the Savior to be saved and be right with him. Secondly, it's a gospel of redemption. What is redemption? It is to buy back. Why is that word so glorious? It's not only a gospel of salvation for the helpless and the hopeless and those who are lost. It's a gospel of redemption. Why is that so glorious? Because we were enslaved, captivated to our sin and our rebellion against God. And redemption, Jesus bought us back. He delivered us and set us free from our captivity. That's what he gloriously has done. A third word that's used is justification. What is justification? It's a legal term. What's the opposite of the term justification, which means in a court, innocent? That's something you don't hear in our courts. You know why we, do you know why our courts affected by English, English jurisprudence? Do you know why they don't, they'll give, what's their verdict if you, if you're not convicted? Not guilty. They never say innocent. You know why they don't say innocent? Because none of us are. We just happen to not to be guilty of that crime. We're, and in the divine court, we're condemned. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. I will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So what are we? We're condemned. We got a bad heart. We got a bad record. We stand under the righteous judgment of God. We stand condemned, but in Jesus, you're not only not guilty because he took away the penalty of your sins, you're now innocent, righteous, because of his perfect righteousness for you. His sinless life allowed him, in obedience to the Father, to receive our wrath for our sin, and he could take our place. And he did it, what did the text say? Out of love. When? Right time. And what did he do? He took our place. And he took that wrath for us. Then he cancels that debt at the cross. And then he clothes us. They took his robes off. He gave us his robe of righteousness to clothe us. So we're not just forgiven and the gates of hell are shut. We are righteous in the sight of God. Every time God looks at you and me, if we're in Christ, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. So the gates of heaven have been opened. Heaven is for the righteous. My righteousness is like filthy rags, but I don't have just my righteousness. I have his. Remember the word of pardon this morning at the beginning of the worship service? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. That's what we have in Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, these are glorious words. Justification, redemption, uh, salvation. Salvation because we were lost. Redemption because we were enslaved. Justification is because we were condemned. 
But what about this word we're majoring on right now? Reconciliation. Would you go back and just read it with me? Go back and read it with me. Look at what he says. Just start at verse 6 with me. But God... um, um, No, not verse 6, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him. See those words, justification, salvation, redemption, all those words. Much more shall we be saved from him from the wrath of God. For what we're saved from? The wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were what? reconcile to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life more than that we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation so there's a fourth word reconciliation what's why is reconciliation a good news word for the gospel like salvation justification and redemption why is it good news because of what you don't have to reconcile something and someone unless they're estranged you and i are estranged from god when we're born into this world we are separated from him we are enemies of God. That's not me. That's this text. When did Jesus die for us? When we were what? Enemies. We were estranged from God. And the only thing that makes us matter than God is for somebody to tell us we're estranged from God. I mean, the only thing that makes us matter than being mad against God is to be mad against somebody that tells us we're mad against God. We are estranged from him. That's why reconciliation is so crucial. Reconciliation is a glorious term because you and I at one time, now watch this, we were estranged from God because of our sinfulness. And God was estranged from us because of his holiness. We were estranged from God because of our sinfulness. God was estranged from us because of his holiness. Now, how can we be right with God? And how can God be right within us? How can we be intimately connected to God? How can I be in his family? How can I be with him for all eternity? I am estranged from him because of my sin. And he is estranged from me because of his holiness. How can I possibly be right with God? Well, what we couldn't do, this is what God has done. And that's why I just simply want you to think on this. I'm going to give you a few simple takeaways in just a moment. But I want you to just think on this for a very few minutes anyway. The text says... We are reconciled to God when we were estranged from God and God was estranged from us. Why? Because God sent his son to take away the estrangement at the cross. Why? Because he loved us. He loved us and because he loved us. Now listen, folks. Everyone in the world experiences God's common grace, benevolent love. 
Anyone breathing and not in hell right now is experiencing grace and God's benevolent love. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. But you have received God's redeeming love. While we were enemies, God demonstrated his love for us in that Christ died for us, the helpless, the ungodly, the estranged, the enemy, the sinners. That's what we were. And that's what he did. Oh, we've got cases of people dying for the righteous, meaning the good citizens, doing the right thing in life. We've got people dying for the good, you know, those that we've got relationships with. We read about those things and it moves us. But this is the one who came to die for us because he loved us when we did not love him. The one who did not need us wanted us. We who needed him did not want him. This is why authentic Christians abhor man-made divisions. This is why. Because of all that God did to unite us to him. Oh, there will be divisions over truth. Paul says that will be necessary. But even then, it's not done with divisiveness. That's why reconciliation horizontally is the evidence of those who have known the depth of their, re- of their reconciliation vertically to the Almighty. And they can't, they can't help but embrace this in life. I, um, I think maybe the, one of the things that's really helpful in this text is if, would you look a little closer at that text where it says, we who were reconciled to him through his death, much more having been reconciled to him, we shall be, now did you see that? We shall be saved or reconciled by his life. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, I hope that's what you're asking yourself. What in the world does that mean? Now some of you may already know what it means, but some of you may want to know what in the world. I know That Jesus died on the cross to reconcile. He took away my sin debt so I could be reconciled to God. I know that. Okay. I understand that. But what does it mean he's been reconciled by his life? By How have we been reconciled by his life? What does that mean? Well, this won't surprise you. I think it means three. It possibly means three things. Uh, Number one. It can't mean four. can't mean two. It's got to be three. Okay. So here it is. Here's the first one. It means, this is something we talked about last week. You don't get saved without Jesus' atoning vicarious death. He died for us in our place. The innocent one became the guilty one. How? Because he who knew no sin became sin. He, in his obedience, passively received the sin debt of all of his people for all of eternity so that when he went to the cross bearing it, he would receive all of the wrath of God that was due to those sins to pay it for us for all eternity. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? See at the cross, it is God 
who justifies. But he also actively obeyed God, perfectly kept God's law in thought, word, and deed, perfectly in his entire life. And now that righteousness becomes ours. So we are accepted in the beloved and received into heaven through the perfect righteousness of Christ. So saved by his life. Second possibility. This is not referring to his incarnate life of perfection. It is referring to his intercessory life of resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected after 40 days, where did he go? This is easy. I'm not tricking you. Where did he go after 40 days after he was resurrected? Come on, don't mumble. Don't mumble. You're not in the children's Sunday school class. He went to heaven. Where is he in heaven? What is he doing? Interceding for you. He who died, who will bring a charge against God's elected is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, rather, who is raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who even now intercedes for us. The one who prayed when he lived ever lives to pray for you. So you're saved by his life. When he lived, he did the work of redemption for you. Now he's risen, interceding, and he is doing the work of redemption on you. Well, Harry, what's the third possibility? They're both true. And that's where I land. <laughs> I have no, I have no more arguments that saved by his life means his perfect life of righteousness than what I gave you and saved by his resurrected life as he intercedes for you it's just i don't want to decide between the two i believe that when it says we're saved by his life we're saved by his incarnate life of righteousness and his risen everlasting life of intercession both of them are crucial in our salvation so we are saved by his life and reconciled to god and therefore we have now watch this watch the language in the text we have received the, re the reconciliation from him. But when was our reconciliation? At the cross. That's when it was. At the cross. We receive it when we're born again. But it's already ours and a settled fact. We are reconciled at the cross is what the text says. So, Pastor, what, what does all of that mean for me as a believer? Well, let me just give you a takeaways by answering some questions. Very quickly, I'm going to answer five questions for you on the takeaway. Number one is this. What has, what has Christ saved us from or justified us from or reconciled us from? What has Christ saved us from on this takeaway? Well, here's what he has saved us from. He has saved us from the wrath of God. So on the, as, the, as the Yeti song says, on the cross of Christ, the wrath of God was satisfied. When Jesus said, Tetelestai, it's finished. 
No more wrath of God against our sins. It had all been expended and all been endured. And all of that hell was borne by Christ on the cross. It's finished. And on the third day with his resurrection, God said, Amen. He has saved us from the wrath of God. That's why we do not fear death. That's why we do not fear the judgment. We stand in awe of it, but we do not fear it. You know why? I'm in the book of life. You know why I'm in the book of life? Because he paid for my sins at the cross. When did he, and so that's what he has done for me. What has Christ saved us from? God's wrath. And we now stand in Christ. Reconcile to him. Well, where did Christ save us? There was a hymn we used to sing growing up in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. I love this hymn. Particularly Sunday nights we would sing it. At the cross, at the cross, where my burdens fell away. I am redeemed. At Calvary is where Christ saved us. It is there that Christ saved us. He did not save me when I believed. He saved me at the cross. There he saved us. There he reconciled. He was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification at the cross. I received that salvation when I believed, but it was a settled salvation. That's why Jesus would say, Father, I lose none of them. Thirdly, when did Christ save us? Actually, when did he save us? I can tell you that. Well, Harry, at the cross, you just said that. No, I'm speaking of this when. When did Christ save us? When I was helpless. I didn't, I didn't just need, I just, I didn't need just a religious coach. I needed a savior. I didn't need a guru. I needed a savior. I didn't need an action-packed game hero. I needed the Savior. When I was helpless, when I was a sinner, when I was ungodly, when I was at enmity and estranged from him, that's when he saved me. Please put that in your memory bank. That is so crucial. When did he save me? When I was helpless, when I was a sinner. That's what the text says. I'm just quoting the text. When I was helpless, when I was a sinner, when I was ungodly, and when I was an enemy, at enmity with him. Why did Christ save us? Why did Christ save us? You just sung the song, why should I receive this reward? It's simple. Because he loves you. Please note my language. I didn't say he will love you. I didn't say he did love you. I said he loves you. Before the foundation of the world, he he redemptively loves you. Why did Christ save us? Because he sovereignly chose to love us and save us from our sins, justify us from our guilt, 
reconcile us as enemies to God, as our Father and Jesus, our elder brother and Savior. This glorious thing that he has done, this divine exchange. Folks, can I put it this way? Here's what the Bible says in Romans 3. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Well, then how in the world did I get saved? Here's how. Because the wrath of God that's revealed against all ungodliness didn't fall on me. The wrath of God against my ungodliness fell on him while I was still ungodly. And that text goes on to say, we have made an exchange. We exchange the glory of God for the glory of the creature. Jesus made a divine exchange. He exchanged his righteousness to give to me and took my sin on himself. So that I could be reconciled to God, right with God, so that you could be Reconciled to God and right with God. My last question, fifth question. When will Christ stop loving us? Answer, never. Roman, uh, Revelation 1.5. Now unto him who loves us and has Loosed us from our sins. Pastor, wait just a minute. You mean if I, if I begin to falter, if I sin, what do you mean if? We do. I did. I mean, I, I do, did, have, will. It's there. Thankfully, I'm not living under the dominion of sin, but I still got some old man sin in me. God's not up there with a, with a daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. God is very clear about this. You falter, I'm coming after you because those whom he loves, he, he disciplines. You begin to walk away, I'll come after you. You come back to me, I'll receive you. I'll run out to meet you. What you don't know is I did the work to bring you out of the pig trough so you'd come back to me. What you don't know and what you need to know is I love you. And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. He never ceases loving us because he never started loving us. The eternal one before the foundation of the world sovereignly chose to love you. Not because of you or because of his need of you, but because of his irresistible, unstoppable, vicarious, timely, redeeming love. That's what he has done for you. And that's what he has done for me. Praise God. And I give him praise and glory for it. The love of God did not start. The love of God for you did not start at the cross. It was demonstrated at the cross. 
It started in him, and he is eternal. He is everlasting. Foundation of the world means time, space, and matter. Before there was time, space, and matter where you could begin and end, before that even existed, he loved you. Because he is the self-existent God. And his attribute has been so expressed in his sovereignty to love you. And so you know, and I know, what he has done for us now. He has chosen to love us who were estranged that we might be brought to him. And we might be in him. To do that, he went to the cross and defeated all of the enemies. Sin, death, hell, the grave, and Satan. He defeated all of his enemies but one. And that's us. He saved us. Through his son. And we're reconciled. To him. And that's why. We have blessed assurance. We examine ourselves To see whether we are of the faith. But we do not examine ourselves. To see if we're doing good enough. For God to love us. God has loved us. That's why we do what we do. That's the evidence. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Our works are the evidence. It is his work. You are the profile of his love through Christ. And he is unstoppable. So get your assurance not from your feelings, not from your tithing, not from your witnessing, not from your church attendance. All of those things are important. All of them. But they did not cause God to love you. And they don't cause God to keep loving you. They become the evidence of his love. And when they falter, they will become the occasion of his discipling and disciplining love in our life. We are confident in him. What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or peril or sword or famine or nakedness? No, I am... No, I believe that in all these things we more than conquer through Christ who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor life, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Christ is laid whole. Now we are His. And may His praise come from our lips and through our lives. There's your assurance. The love of God in Christ. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why? In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. 
Thank you for the glory and the majesty of our great sovereign God and the love displayed in Christ and how you use it into the, the heart, the minds, and the emotions of your people. Oh, God, may we be enraptured once again with the depth, the breadth, the height, and the length of your love. And may Christ be exalted, Father. I pray this in the lives of all that are here in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.